Hi, welcome to the Parenting Reframe Podcast. I am Elbiona Rakipi, your host. I'm a former teacher, a parent, currently a pediatric speech and language pathologist, and I'm a writer. I've worked with thousands of children and families throughout the last 20 years, and I have learned so much. On this podcast, we'll approach parenting from a curious place. We'll ask questions and get answers, explore new ideas, unpack the unconscious beliefs and expectations we hold on to about parenting, and reframe what it means to parent. We'll search for solutions to some of our biggest parenting challenges, set aside judgments, and find our way through this wild journey. My hope is that this podcast is a space where parents can feel seen, heard, and supported. Welcome aboard, and let's reframe together. On today's episode of the podcast, I get to sit down with Nicole McDonough, Nicole is a leadership coach who specializes in helping people understand the Enneagram and what personality type they are. For those of you who might not be familiar with the Enneagram, it is a test or a system of personality types that describes patterns and how people interpret the world or manage their emotions. I personally am a type nine after doing the test. There are nine types altogether, so there is so much to learn from it. If anything, I really think of it as a really powerful self-awareness tool, kind of talking about the traits that you have that really present in a positive way and some areas where you know you might struggle or have challenges. The reason I asked Nicole to come on was because I really wanted her to talk about the Enneagram and how it can impact parents and parenting. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Without further ado. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Parenting Reframe podcast. I am joined today by somebody incredibly special, and I'm so excited to have this conversation. My friend Nicole McDonough is here, and we're going to talk about all things Enneagram. Now, if you're anything like me, I did not even know what Enneagram was. And this is actually a funny story, Nicole. I don't even know if I've told you this, but it was through Kelsey Murphy that we met. And when she first mentioned that we're going to work with Nicole McDonough as a life coach, and she's also an expert in the Enneagram. I couldn't even read it correctly. I wasn't even sure what that word was when I was just saw it in print. I mean, that's how little I knew about it. And then lo and behold, I just found it to be one of the coolest tools. So Nicole, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I think we can just jump right in. I think one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because obviously my audience is mostly parents. And when I did my Enneagram reading and session with you, I thought it was so helpful in one, understanding myself, and two, I thought, gosh, this would be such a useful tool for parents because I think often, especially as your kids start to get older, I, I know I've mentioned mine are 19 and 16, so my kids are older, and as they start to kind of come into their own and have their own identity, I feel like that's when parents can become more triggered because sometimes their thoughts, their ideas, their responses don't align with what we might expect, and that can bring up a lot in us that's unresolved. So I really loved the idea of the Enneagram and that it kind of broadened that lens a little bit for me, at least, in that you can look to how others communicate or navigate situations or approach challenges and kind of have a little bit of empathy and compassion and really pinpoint like what's the best way to reach them rather than making it about ourselves. So with that, why don't you talk a little bit about what is the Enneagram for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with it as a tool and give us a little bit of a rundown of what that is. Okay. So a lot of people think of the Enneagram as a personality test, and certainly that's kind of a quick and easy way to describe it, but that's not really how I think of it. Because in my experience, 
personality tests are fixed. They don't have a lot of movement. They kind of say, this is who you are and forever you will stay. So for people who don't like being put in a box, that can be really off-putting because we're evolving, we're growing, we have seasons and pendulum swings and we shed skins. You know, there's all kinds of change happening within us. So I like to describe the Enneagram as a map of personal growth and it outlines your unique personal growth journey based on you can call it your personality type or your starting point. So there's nine different types, nine different starting points. And depending on which personality type you are, your starting point will be different and your end point will be different. So I guess that's the simplest way I can explain it is, yes, it has shades of that personality test feeling, but Unlike other tests that are more fixed, this one's all about movement and about taking advantage of the things you have kind of to the left and right of you and taking advantage of moving forward into a healthier, more self-aware place. So there's a lot of movement. I like to describe it as a map. I love that. I love even, so it is nine types and I love the idea that it's fluid. I think I was joking with you about this, but when some with human design, I can sometimes fall into the trap of like my star student personality. And I'm like, well, what's the best number to achieve? Like, I want to know, like, what is the one that is the most sort of sought after? And I remember you being like, no, there is no good or bad. There is no, it's not that binary. It's really about just looking at what that type is, your starting point, like you mentioned. So I guess let me ask you this. Can you become, can you be a different number later on or through growth and experience? That's a really common question. And the answer is no, you are always your number, but there's two ways that you can notice movement or growth. One is, you know, a really, let's say a really healthy seven who's done a lot of personal development work, worked with the Enneagram, worked with a mentor, therapist or coach, you know, journaled kind of at the middle to end of their journey, they're going to be much healthier versus somebody who is a really unhealthy seven, doesn't know anything about their habits and their patterns and their reactivity and why they're doing it that way. So your level of health can change. And then the other area of movement is you have your main type, but then you have sort of a triangle. You have an arrow you go to in stress and an arrow you go to in health. So for example, I am a four. And even though I am a four, I also have shades of the other two numbers that fours go to in stress and in health, which means kind of depending on the season of your life that you're in and the situation that you're in, you can lean into different traits at different times. So cool. Okay, great. So you did a read a session for me and I loved it. So I thought we could jump in a little bit in describing what my results were. And I kind of want to parlay that into a little bit of like the parenting piece and how I saw that sort of transform the way I proceeded. So I am a nine. And my other two numbers, the stress and the health one, were a six and a two. So what would you kind of, how would you describe that reading or that result? Yeah, so that's really interesting. So I actually, there's so much misinformation out there. One, there's people who kind of think it's just like a fun, stereotyping, make a joke sort of thing, and they really misuse the tool. All fine and good if you just don't want to go that deep with it and watch a funny meme about, you know, the preferred latte of each Enneagram type. That's not how I use it. So I designed small group weekly typing sessions that you can sign up. It's a small one hour paid workshop where we look at your results, but that's just a numerical starting point because the test, that's all it is. It's a numerical starting point, but it can be up to 70% wrong because there's a lot of information that a test can't take in. So in your case, as a nine, 
you know, you have those qualities of being optimistic, seeing all sides of an issue, being open-minded and patient, which are also qualities that a two holds. So my guess is that's why, you know, there's a lot of common mistypings and groupings. Sure. But it doesn't mean that the numbers like your second and third number are your stress and health number. Because those come with the symbol itself, meaning in stress, nines do go to six. So that number was on your results. And that's actually really common because so many of us are under so much stress, whether it's conscious or subconscious, that in our results, sometimes your stress number can even show up more than your main number. So interesting. So what does that mean when you say a nine goes to a six under stress? What would that look like? So for a nine, going to six under stress would be sort of leaning into the lower side traits of a six, which are um, being really anxious, kind of losing their sense of boundaries and overextending themselves, giving to others, getting a little bit worst case scenario, thinking, racing thoughts, overthinking things, and really not having a good grip on really boundaries and fear and anxiety and a clear next action step. So those are traits of a six. Those are kind of some of the, you know, negative traits of a six or challenges. And so we tend to kind of, without even meaning it, to show up as the lower side of our stress number. Now in health, nines go to type three. That's where that health arrow is. And that's actually a pretty big jump because threes, for anyone who's listening, if you don't know, are very comfortable in the spotlight. They're very ambitious. They're heart-centered leaders, and they're very future-oriented and results and action-oriented. So for nines, who can tend to kind of be a bit more behind the scenes and not want to ruffle anyone's feathers, this is a big jump, but it's a really exciting one because the more deeper Enneagram work and personal development you do, the more that starts to feel less scary and more natural. That's amazing. So I think I would describe that that is very true of myself. I definitely prefer behind the scenes as I sort of embark on this parenting in this space and kind of teaching and coaching and speaking at different events. It's interesting because at first I was very nervous and then the more I did it, the more comfortable I became. But the desire to just be out there in front of everyone was not immediate for sure. And I still wouldn't describe it that way. But Also, part of it is like letting go of the fact that it's not about me. And if I can share something that is helpful, then that is what I need to focus on rather than like, how do I sound? How do I look? Am I saying something smart? Am I right? I try not to get too stuck in the weeds with it, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think that's really interesting. So let me ask you this when you mentioned about the six, like going to a six stress point. So as a parent, I would describe myself as very calm. I think my kids would agree with that. But I can always sort of lean toward worrying, particularly as they become more independent and have more time to themselves. And so is it possible that your stress response can be different based on context? Like, for example, if I have a stress event at work, I can be very grounded and level-headed. I can sort of not get swept up really quickly and I can just sort of pull myself back pretty fast and just kind of look at all the moving pieces that need to be considered. But when I parent, that is not always the case. That sometimes gets completely bypassed and I go right into either worst case scenario or I just leap to my own conclusions pretty quickly. I think you hit the nail on the head. That's why parenting makes us feel so vulnerable is because, you know, with the professional role we have and the boundaries we have in place there, 
we're still, even if things bother us or concern us, we're still often able to maintain a certain level of composure with our work mm-hmm. life that I feel like parenting just kind of hits you where it hurts. Regrets you have about, you know, how you responded when they were little or vulnerabilities you have in your romantic relationship, like how kids try to pit one parent against the other. It brings all of that to the surface. So honestly, and you might be leading into this question, but so many people say, should I type my child? And that's a separate issue and we can get there. But the way I have found the Enneagram the most useful is... If there's a really challenge, not if, when, when there's a really challenging issue that comes up for me as a mom with one of my kids and it hits me where it hurts, I have this amazing magnifying glass into myself. So I can do the detected work, probably not in the heated moment, but usually afterward of why was that so painful? Why did that bring up such a strong fear response or got my feelings hurt or I took charge and I was so domineering? You know, it. It gives you a new level of self-awareness that I just really haven't seen any other tools have. And you're probably experiencing this because my kids are 8, 10, and 11, so they're not yet teenagers. Although we certainly have some early morning signs, (laughs) but the older they get, the less control you have. And often the only thing you can control is your response, which is scary. And so all the more reason to be like, well, I need every tool I can get my hands on to control my response. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think you're spot on. It certainly can hit you much faster and trigger you in a way that maybe at a work event or something else wouldn't necessarily have the same capability to do that. But for me, it's interesting. Once I did the session with you, I did start to really see those patterns in myself. And I was able to then ground and kind of go back into my nine self when something happens. And That awareness piece is so important. I think when I even work one-on-one with a parent or with groups of parents, I teach something that I call PAR, which is just pause, acknowledge, respond, reflect. And in part, it came up out of my own journey because as my kids got older, probably right the same age as your kids are right now, Nicole, I started to experience like that lessening the grip, but also fearful of what might come and then fearful of what I was seeing at times. And then trying to kind of find my place of where I belonged in all of it. And yes, then finding big explosive reactions sometimes that were so out of character for me, or I would have a really quick knee jerk, like just shutting something down so quickly. And then I sort of started to say to myself, I have to really sit with this because I can see it's not landing. I don't feel well. They're not hearing me and they just are starting to dismiss me because that's what starts to happen. You just look like the loony parent who's like, like just yelling at something for no reason. And so I was like, I'm going to miss, I'm, I'm not going to connect. I'm going to miss this opportunity to really connect with them. So I talk a lot about creating that space where you can just pause before that big response or big reaction really comes out and just create some awareness. And at first, the awareness is just, I'm triggered and nothing else, right? Sometimes we can't even go into why or what, because that's later. And that's why I added that last R of reflect, because You're right. You sometimes have to sit with that and go like, what was that? What came up for me? Or where did that take me? Or where is that sitting? Or why is that such a big deal? And really through that process, I think it just helped me so much. So the Enneagram for me is such a nice way of sort of pairing those two together and really thinking about what that awareness looks like and how impactful it can be, not just for you as a parent, but your kids really benefit because you just show up so much more as yourself and you're honest. 
I'm very open with them. Like sometimes I'll say, you guys, this gets me, you know, it does just give me a few minutes, you know, and they know, right. They know it too. And so sometimes what happens is they can also use that same language back like, oh, that's so bothersome. I know I'm being impatient right now. Right. But that because that language has always been there and we've talked so much about it, it's been a really nice thing to be able to sort of see it now as they are now pretty much, I mean, my son's an adult. So it's interesting to see how that all takes place. So I love the Enneagram for that reason too, because anything that's going to give us some self-awareness, some language around what it is that's occurring for us or happening for us, I think can be so helpful and also not feel quite so judgmental and hard, but very just informative and, and really empowering. It can really help you. So I love that. So you kind of touched on this and you said, um, you mentioned about typing kids. Do you ever kind of, I know I like the idea that that magnifying glass goes right back to us because that is really what we should be doing is looking to see like, what what are we doing? What's our response? But like for my kids who are older or yours now are starting to get a little more independent, especially your 11-year-old, is it even accurate or is it that they're still in that developmental, you know, things are still changing and shaking out? Is it even effective to do it? Yeah. And there's really, I'm sure this is a pretty controversial topic and I'll kind of say what I think is out there and where I land. The recommendation with a tool that's so self-reflective is to use it on yourself first for like three years. And that sounds kind of daunting because people get so excited because you have this feeling of relief and I feel seen, but I'm so glad I feel seen. And so you kind of can have that momentum when you figure out your type. You just want to type everyone in your life. You want to be like, well, what's my spouse? What are my parents? What are my children, my close friends. So it's a normal response. But, you know, I help type people for a living. And I've been working with this tool for just shy of a decade. And every now and then I'll come across, you know, a niece or uh, a coworker or somebody that I'm just like, I just can't quite. I've, I've laid awake at night trying to figure out There's all kinds of reasons, usually birth order or trauma. But it certainly can be helpful at a certain age. I mean, I would say once your child is 15. There's no magic age. You have to kind of know, I think the intent matters too. So my answer for the way I use it as a parent might be different than how I recommend how other people use it because this is one of my sort of main tools. So I do have a sense of what my kids are and I'm I'm open to being wrong. And as long as I'm coming at it with the approach of, you know, I want to meet them where they're at, stay connected, understand kind of their internal world or their hormone crashes or their anxiety. You know, some numbers could be anxious, but it comes out as aggression. Mm -hmm. You know, some people can be sure and critical, but they're actually really hard on themselves. And it's just so it definitely can give you a magnifying glass. I guess my my answer is kind of gray. It's use it on yourself first as much as you can to know your own triggers, your own sort of stress response, which again, isn't negative. It's kind of just a normal opposite that happens in life. Notice when you're relaxed. Certainly, it's an incredibly helpful tool for couples. You know, if your children are 18 or older, you know, or something like that. But as long as, you know, if they're under 18 or 16 and you feel like there's a puzzle piece missing, I guess, and you're trying to kind of understand you know, why does this child trigger me or why are we zigging and zagging? Where are we so different? It certainly couldn't hurt as long as you're willing to be wrong because they're not fully formed. Sure. No, I get that. And it's funny that you're saying that because as you're talking right now, I'm just thinking about my own kids and I really have no desire to to type them. I mean, I think it's a lot of what you're describing. I know so much of who I am in this process that the tool, the Enneagram tool has really allowed me to even dig deeper and to see more and more of that as 
they sort of evolve and get older. And I feel like it's for them to figure out as well, right? And to really think about how they want to show up in the same way that I'm thinking about how I want to show up for them. I just feel like I would be so tempted if I were you to, to categorize everyone and be like, oh, therefore, like I would just... I wouldn't be able to help it. I feel like my mind just works like that sometimes. I do love the fact that you're approaching it of like, it's not really about that. It's just more about your own self. And again, like to your point earlier, just because two people are a seven doesn't mean that's expressed in the same way, right? It doesn't look the same way for everybody. So I think it's important to note that. So you touched on this. What do we think about couples? Like I have thought of having my husband do it, although I think I've already typed him too. But I just think it's really helpful sometimes because you can then understand where the other's coming from. Before we started recording, I was telling you that when I work with couples in a session, disagreements come up, right? Like one parent will generally, what comes up is one parent will think the other is too permissive and the other parent generally thinks the other parent is too hard, too strict, too abrupt, right? So it's like just very different ways of approaching the same problem. And what I always tell parents is we don't have to agree. We have to figure out how to align. And that's a process and there's a way to do it. And it doesn't mean that you have to agree with each other, but there is a way to find that middle ground. And I do often wonder if the Enneagram, you know, if you knew your type and if you really did the work and worked with somebody, if that could be a tool that parents could use. Absolutely. I think all communication, when we are calm and at ease and centered, it's so much easier to communicate especially with our partner who you can experience the deepest intimacy and the deepest pain because mm-hmm. of how close you are and how well you know each other and, and all that you've been through. So any tool that one helps you know your own triggers and find that sense of calm within yourself, even as they're happening, like, oh, here it comes, it's happening. You know, I knew this one. I know I hate this feeling. <laughs> Getting stronger. But then also gives you language. I think in partnership, when our, our defenses are up and we're so close to an issue, it's just hard to be compassionate on the other person, especially an issue like parenting that's just so near and dear. You just often think, I mean, I can think about a million examples in my own life in the last week. <laughs> like, I know what's best for this child and I know I'm right, you know, and that's mm-hmm. not a good stance to come from. But it's also this sense of urgency and responsibility of like, if we miss the mark with this, like, what's going to happen? You know, that big question mark, like we're shaping this child and Mm -hmm. we missed our moment to respond, you know, in a way that whatever it may be. So I think it can help you step back and not be so close to the issue because, you know, you can have a different orientation to time, which can be hard for Mm -hmm. couples. One can be way future oriented and just like, okay, great. What's next? You know, not, I don't want to reflect. I don't want to sit still. It's just, what's the next trip? What are we, what our next goal? And others can be really past-oriented. And I want to reflect. I want to talk this through. I feel nostalgic. I feel sad. And even that issue alone can be a real eye-opener for couples. And there are multiple issues like that. I mean, how we relate to stress, how we relate to boundaries, where you can be like, oh, no wonder you're approaching this from a super logical thinking perspective. And I'm over here and I'm like all heart. Or you're a very black and white thinker. You make quick decisions with your gut. And I'm more, you know, shades of gray and logic and let's think about all sides. So it just levels the playing field if you have any power dynamics going on that you want to work on because it's kind of like every side is needed and every perspective is needed. And like trusting that, you know, this child was given to us for a reason, even if we're not seeing eye to eye right now, 
there's something this child needs from both of us. So I think it helps people with their patience, helps just create a little distance and remove blame if it is a, you know, a issue that feels heavier. And yeah, it just increases kind of compassion overall. I love that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it can be such a powerful tool and just leveling the playing field, having a better understanding of where the other is coming from, just really kind of looking at it with, I always kind of say, try to stay as curious as you can rather than jumping right away to a conclusion or a right or wrong, or I have the better solution, you don't have the good solution, right? Like whatever that knee-jerk reaction is. And it's interesting that you said this too, but mothers usually are the ones who can get that real like mama bear hat on and be like, I know what's best. I'm, you know, follow my lead, please. I'm the one who is either the primary caretaker. That's not always the case. But a lot of times I can find that that maternal instinct can just really take over and kind of make that protective piece come out for that particular person. So, and it's interesting because on the sort of dad side of it, what I find often is that fathers sort of feel like, okay, well, that maternal instinct is so strong. Can I say I, I don't agree or that I feel differently or that there is, right? And so it's interesting to see that if you looked at it in the absence of those roles, those societal roles and descriptions and ways that we've described a mom or a dad, or if, even if it's a same-sex couple, there's always usually a primary caretaker and a secondary caretaker, right? There's just an interesting way that we kind of categorize things. We're just binary thinkers. And what the Enneagram can do is that it really just looks at two individuals. Mm -hmm. And where do you find, where is this individual coming from? And where is this individual coming from? Who really wholeheartedly love the child the same. There isn't one parent that loves more than the other and, and what have you. So I, I love that. I love the idea of just being able to find that space and to have that tool because it can really give you the language. And I'll say this, now that my kids are older, what I love is, and I've said this to couples before too, is you don't want two of the same of you parenting those kids, right? As they get older, you will see the benefit in the fact that you both bring a very different perspective to their lives. And now, like, even my kids will say, you know, I have a question, but I'm going to ask dad, or I'm going to ask you, or I'm going to, and not that they don't want both of our input, but they are even good at kind of knowing, like, all right, he's going to be really analytical. Mom's going to be super like, you know, expansive and like open and just let's talk more about it and let's dig deeper. And my husband can really just look at something and go, hmm, this, this and this and and really kind of simplify it pretty quickly. And their takeaway is like they kind of come to us for different reasons and they get different types of input. But it isn't that it's in disagreement. It's just that it's two different ways to look at it. And it's what do you want to take from it and what would be the most helpful? So there is light on the other side of that <laughs> journey of like, <laughs> I often joke with my husband, you know, he's got so many, so many wonderful strengths and he's more spontaneous. He can be forgetful that, you know, we all have our different things. And he's an eighth grade history and English teacher. So he loves to date and discuss. And those are great strengths for the seventh and eighth grade classroom. But when you are dealing with like a four-year-old who has, you know, all kinds of complex diagnoses and needs structure and rewards and discipline and clear expectations, debate and discuss is not the best approach. <laughs> so I you said, you know, like I just encouraged him and reminded him through some of our personal challenges with one of our children. It's just, you know, these traits are so great and there's a time for them and there's going to be a stage that they're going to really come in handy where like, I believe our kids, you know, already were kind of a hub where other kids come to our house and they know that we're very open, we're very present and available, and they can talk to us about anything. And I really hope that that 
continues to grow as they become teenagers because it really is, you know, my husband is really great at not judging and just discussing and debating and letting the conversation go where it needs to, where I'm a bit more serious and, you know, with a sense of purpose. And <laughs> so I love that. And you're spot on, Nicole. You're absolutely right because the day will come where, and it, in some instances, it might already be happening where the boundary can be set and maybe there is some structure around something, but that the follow-up to that is maybe dad coming in with the knowledge piece, when that regulation takes place, when that emotional coping has happened and now there's some grounding under that child and now maybe they can sort of hear more or are available to sort of take in new information or a different perspective. So it certainly will be a strength and is a strength. And to your point, when they do get older, I was just wrote an article for the Every Mom that's coming out in a few weeks, and they asked me to write an article about teens and peer pressure. Mm. And one of the things I say in there is like, it's not perfect. It won't always be perfect. You will make mistakes. But for my husband and I, we, we really thought we wanted to just create a space where they could thrive. And for that to happen, we knew we had to let them fail. And we knew we had to sit back and watch that process happen. And it's hard. I mean, it's really gut-wrenching, but it was really beneficial to them. And what I wrote about was that for us, when they found themselves in moments that were, I don't want to say dangerous, but overwhelming for them, we were their first call. And it was, hey, can you come get me? I just, I don't like where I'm at right now or I'm not comfortable. And for us, that was the win, right? So you're thinking about like, in the end, what is it that you hope for? And for us, it was that, no matter what, that they know we're the safety net, that, mm. you know, no matter how bad the situation gets, you can come to us. And so when you have a parent who is that open and that non-judgmental and open to discussion, it really is so helpful to kids as they're navigating a terribly confusing time <laughs> while they're going through so many hormonal disruptions and they don't really have the experience to make sound decisions yet. That will be such a profound resource for them. Yeah, it makes me think about when I remember reading an article on boys because I have two boys, you know, my kids are 18 months apart, two boys very close, and they challenge each other to take risks in a way that you kind of can't get in between them. So like the risk taking and the lack of frontal lobe development, it's just like it snowballs. I had a great friend from South Africa who was one of my mom, just mentors and heroes. And she's like, I'm not going to be a sit still and be quiet mom. I'm not going to do mm -hmm. that. I have mm -hmm. to find another way. and. The article is saying if you always tell boys to get down, like in terms of climbing heights before they themselves are scared, they'll always be seeking that limit and that mm -hmm. adrenaline of like, oh, shoot, I climbed so high. How do I get down? So if you always stop them and it's symbolic, right? It's a metaphor. If you always stop them before they feel that they're always going to be pushing it. But if you kind of watch them climb till they're like either they fall and get hurt or they are scared and they're like, I have no idea how to get back down. They learn from that experience, but you as the parent probably would have stopped them far sooner because you can't handle watching them climb so high. So maybe it's somewhat symbolic for kind of what you're describing in teenage. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, it's funny because that exact same thing, and I can't remember who the person was that spoke on it, but I'll have to find it and I'll send it to you. But she talked about how we do that more with girls, mm. right? So with boys, we sort of give them that space to physically explore, like climb, jump, run. It's okay if you get hurt. Just you know, you're fine. But we tend to handle girls like they're a little more fragile and we have to be a little more careful and we kind of guide them up the ladder and we make sure we're spotting them or whatever the case is. And we don't do that typically for boys. 
And they're talking a lot about how you have to give girls that space because same idea, like they don't have good risk analysis then because somebody's always been there to prevent whatever that dangerous piece was or for them to be able to get to a place where they can sort of self-assess and go, I think I can go a little bit higher or actually feel good right here. I'm going to probably stop maybe next time or whatever the case is. So uh, I don't know. There's just always something to figure out, always something to learn. And then as soon as you figure it out, the next stage comes, right? You got you got toddlerhood figured out. Now you're done. You're done. That's exactly right. I'll be in adolescence before we know it. <laughs> I know. Yep. You're in those tween. You're getting close to the tween years and you're kind of in it with your 11-year-old. And so I always say parenting is a series of transient phases. And if you can just immerse yourself in the phase that you're in and take the good and really just accept that every phase has challenges that's really meant to grow everyone in that family unit, it will just keep getting better and better. And then you kind of look back at it all and you go, I can't believe I'm here and all of this happened. And you're just grateful. You're grateful for the whole journey. So, well, Nicole, I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you if they want to dig deeper into their own type or getting some input on how to really use the Enneagram as a tool? The best place to find me is at NicoleMcDonough.com. There's lots of different options for group support, one-on-one uh, -on -one support. One time people want to come to a typing session like you did, like many people do each week and just kind of talk through their test results or maybe they don't want to take a test and they just have some questions. And I even have people come to those more than once if they're, you know, I, I would type eight. I've known this for a year now. Here's what I've seen. Now I want to go deeper and take the next step. So that link is there. I also have an Enneagram course that is kind of soup to nuts for leaders to understand yourself and the people that you manage and supervise and work with better. And I have a lot of other options, whether group coaching, team workshops, or one-on-one -on -one kind of custom coaching. So NicoleMcDonough.com. And you can also get on my email list there and just stay plugged into all the fun stuff that's happening. I definitely would recommend to everybody, highly recommend, go do it. It's such a helpful tool. You're going to be so happy you did. And Nicole, you just have a really wonderful and eloquent, graceful way of just explaining to people in such a calm an easy way about their type and what it really means and what to consider. And I still look back to that session and find it so valuable. So thank you for joining me and thanks everyone. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening right now. And what really makes my day is if you share or recommend the podcast to a friend, it is the greatest compliment. If you have not already, head on over to theparentingreframe.com where you can subscribe to get my weekly newsletter, Parenting Skimmed. 10 sentences delivered to your inbox every Thursday to help you parent and live a better life. It's for the parent who constantly told me, I just don't have time to read. Make sure to come and say hi to me on Instagram at theparentingreframe. My DMs are always open and I love hearing from you. Until next time, this is Albiona.